All right, well, we're at the site of Atlantic Sports Health Physical Therapy today. I'm interviewing J.R. Nizavachia. Did I pronounce that right? Close, very close. J.R. Nizavachia. Nizavachia. All right, so I'm at the site of Atlantic Sports Health Physical Therapy today with J.R. Nizavachia. <laughs> All right, now I'm a martial artist. <laughs> okay. This is Kevin Som, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails Podcast. We share stories of perseverance and inspiration in sports and in life. I'm going to try that again. <laughs> I'm at the site of Atlantic Sport Health Physical Therapy today with J.R. Nizabaccia, and we're going to talk about his experience with uh, some ACL injuries that he had, and he's also uh, a physical therapist for how many years? Uh, almost 20. 20 years. Yeah, 20 years of experience. So we're going to learn about... Um, some of the injuries that he went through and his recoveries and also some of the injuries that he's seen through his career and their ultimate recoveries. So can you just start off with talking about your your injuries in football? Absolutely. So um, back in 1989 I was 16 years old playing football in Parsippany and uh, thought I shut that off. <laughs> Apparently I turned it back on. I'm really not tech savvy. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, and I uh, took a shot to the outside of the knee. So uh, a lot of times we hear about ACL tears and the majority of them are non-contact injuries where if you watch Jordy Nelson a couple weeks ago, he landed awkwardly. And yeah, I'm a Packers popped, fan, so yeah, unfortunately oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm well aware. So uh, yes, the good news was I picked up Randall Cobb in my fantasy draft, but he still hasn't done too much. So I'm hoping that the absence of Jordy Nelson can be of my benefit. Right, yeah. <laughs> Talking to him a few more times a game. That's very true. Um, but that's usually how most ACL injuries occur. Mine so they're not contact. They're usually exactly. just making a cut. And why is that? Uh, a lot of it has to do with the positioning of the knee when you go to push off. So really, the force that tears the ACL, we think, and a lot of this is still theoretical, we, we know a lot about ACL tears, but we still know less than we know. So there's a lot more to learn about it than we actually know already. But if you listen to some people talk, we, it, it sounds like we know everything that's, that there is to know about it, and that's really not true. And that's pretty much the way it is with almost everything in medicine. Uh, everything that we learn today proves what we thought yesterday to be wrong, right. which is why you have to be up to date. Um, but basically, the, the belief is, is as you land or cut and try to pivot on your leg, if you're in about 20 to 30 degrees of knee flexion, so you have about a, a little bit of a bend at the knee, and the hip and the lower leg internally rotate, when that quad goes to fire, the force that's put on the ligament because the ligament is now, it's, it's all the slack is gone in the ligament. So the ligament is now stretched out. Think about, about a rubber band, right? You stretch it as far as you can, and then all of a sudden you give a little, a little tug to it and it snaps. Yep. Exactly right. Um, and it, that's what we believe to be that, that force. Once that ACL is put on tension, the quad fires, and that's all she wrote. All right. Um, so the, there's good news and there's bad news about it. I mean, obviously, it, it's, it's as common as it is, it's still a, a pretty devastating injury to an athlete. Um, in it, terms of coming back fully or? In terms of coming back fully, uh, the physical, 
the physical stress it puts on the body after the surgery, the healing process, and then trying to get back to 100%. What do you mean by physical stress? Uh, the physical stress would be uh, the fact that after you have the surgery, it, it helps if you go in with a lot of good muscle tone. But when you have that surgery, they go in and they're drilling holes through the bones of your knee and then reattaching a ligament. Um, the weakness that you have, there's a lot of muscle inhibition that occurs after that. So your quad basically shuts down and it's like starting all over again. And it's very hard to get back to 100%. Um, if you're a sedentary person, it's very easy to get back to what you were doing. But if you're an elite athlete or even a high school athlete, to get back the speed, the quickness, and then really the, the mental confidence to cut on that leg again, it's very hard to get back. Um, you see a lot of the professional athletes do it, and that's because they have the opportunity to work on it full time. But there's still some professional athletes that will not return to their previous form after an ACL injury. And do you think a lot of that is like mental because they are afraid to make the cut, or? I believe there's definitely a, a mental aspect to it. Um, of course, you know, sports psychology could probably talk a lot more about that. But the emotional stress after the ACL is what I think uh, people really don't understand as much. It is, and ev everything is relatively speaking after this past week where you see one of the Jets players carted off with a suspected neck injury, which thank God he's okay. I mean, you know, it's all relative. If you think about a knee injury compared to a spinal cord injury, right. it's uh, certainly, uh, relatively speaking, it's nothing near that. But when you're talking about an ACL injury, to a professional athlete who is getting paid and supporting his family off of his ability to cut and turn on that knee. That can be very devastating. Right. And even for a high school athlete at the age of 16, in my world, it was completely devastating because back in 1989, the chances of you playing again were very, very slim. So it's because the surgery was different back then or? Oh yes, there's been lots of uh, improvements in the surgery. So back in 1989, um, they went in, they did the surgery. Actually, they did the surgery six days after I had the injury because it was thought the sooner in, the sooner out. Okay. Um, so I had a graft of the hamstring tendon, which was probably, it, it was right on the border of when this patellar tendon was coming out. Could you explain what a graft is? Because people listening might not know what yeah, that is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So basically what they do is once the ACL is torn, you, you can't repair that ACL. So what they like to do is take another piece of tissue from your body or possibly even a cadaver and they thread that through where the ACL belongs and then that becomes your new ACL once it scars down and the bone heals around it. So what they did back then was they would make an incision on the knee, reach around, they snip a piece of the hamstring tendon off, and then they kind of braid it, and they did all types of crazy things to make it stronger. And then they actually put, back then they used uh, metal staples, and they put these ginormous staples into the knee, and that held the ACL in until the bone grew around it and solidified it. And that ligament is, it's a very small ligament, it's only a couple centimeters long from bone to bone, but it's responsible for not allowing the knee to slide, the bones to slide. Because when that happens, you lose the ability of your quad to fire. And basically that's what you see when people give out and they fall down on their knee. That means that you lost that mechanical advantage of the kneecap. So it's like putting a pulley over the outside of a building. Uh, then that's what the kneecap does. If you're on the roof and you're trying to pull 
a lot of weight up the side of the building. You put the pulley out a little bit further, it's much easier to pull a crate of tools or a crate of supplies up to the top of the ceiling, or, or the top of the building rather. Um, that's what the patella does. Now, all of a sudden, if that pulley gets put right next to you, the ability to your 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 mechanical advantage is gone, and now you you're you're pulling all that weight straight up. It, it doesn't work. The knee gives out. The quad can't fire properly. Right. Can, so, can you talk about what your initial reaction was when you tore your ACL? Like, what did you like know that something was wrong? Like, were your thoughts like, oh my god, like now I'm never gonna be able to play football again? Like, what what was going through your head at that at that time? Yeah. The. Uh, the emotions that go through your head are, are, are pretty amazing. So it happened uh, on, on a very silly play. I was on kickoff return team. I didn't even have the ball. I was part of the wedge, which you were allowed to have a wedge back then. And I was playing in West Essex, and a kid from the other team just kind of ran down the sideline, came across the field, dove at everyone's legs, and hit mine, my knee on the outside. And you know, all I remember is just looking up at the sky and uh, knowing that something was wrong. It was interesting because when I think back, I don't really remember the pain. I just remember the knowing that I couldn't get up, and uh, it was, which was interesting. And one of my friends was there, and he grabbed me. He's like, come on, come on, get up, get up. Uh, you're all right, you're all right. And, and, and he told me about this after the fact. I don't even remember it. And all I know was uh, I didn't even attempt to get up. So after getting off the field, it was kind of interesting because then I guess the body goes into shock. I had a little bit of uh, ice on the knee. It really wasn't any more pain. So after about 10 or 15 minutes, I said, oh, I, I think I'm okay. And I, I stood up to try to test out the knee, and it just kind of gave out. So then you go to the doctor, and back in 1989, I had no idea what an ACL was. Um, so I didn't really know what I was in for. But after the surgeon kind of explained it, and then I go back and I tell the coach we had this uh, athletic trainer who was a uh, oh god he was such an asshole. I excuse my French, but um, so what, why was he an asshole? Uh, so he was a, a little a, a little old guy, and um, and basically you know the minute he heard my ACL was torn, he's like ah you're never gonna play again. You're never gonna which you know even if it was true, don't say that to a 16 year old just yeah. because he was. A little hobbit-looking guy doesn't mean <laughs> doesn't mean that he has to be miserable <laughs> and transfer all that to me. You know, at that point in time, 16 years old, f- football was a big part of my life. I, I I wasn't very good at it, but it was the only way I was going to get any dates. So, <laughs> but uh, you know, football was it, it, it was interesting because the injury happened at at a time in my life where I was just kind of coming into my own. I was just getting confident in the sport. I had played for several years now. I guess it was probably going on five or six years of playing football. But, um, you know, the first couple years, I was the type of guy who, you know, when we were having hitting drills, I was counting to see who I was going to go against, make sure I wasn't going up against any of the hard hitters. Right. Um, that, I remember those days too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, I'd be I'd be playing cornerback in uh, in seventh and eighth grade, going, "Please go the other way, please go the other way." Uh, you know, my junior year uh, in high school, which is when this happened, um, I just I'd been moved from defensive end to linebacker, and what I realized was I wasn't the biggest, uh, wasn't the strongest, and I wasn't the fastest, but I was one of the smartest on the field. So I was started watching tape of all the other teams and they moved me to the monster back and the linebackers of the linebackers mainly because I could call the strength of the offense and after watching some of the tape I really 
knew what play was coming. Right. And all of a sudden, I was a much better player when I knew what was coming at me. Right, and the instincts kick in, too. And instinctual players are a lot more effective than, you know, Absolutely. (laughs) It's very true. So now, once I got that confidence, so really I had two games at this monster back, and and in the third quarter of my second game there, uh, I was done for the year. So um, for me, to have it taken away now, I I was just like, well, I finally got it. I finally got it. And it was was pretty devastating. Right. So uh, the emotional aspect, I mean, it's really hard to – hard to explain I mean there's a lot of depression a lot of anger a lot of frustration kind of all those wrapped up in one and, and it, it, it just kind of cycles through the day you go from you know saying that's it I'm going to beat this I'm going to come back stronger faster like channeling those ever. emotions into something positive right exactly and, and from that then you hear some little hobbit guy telling you you're never going to play again and immediately it's just like boom off the winds out right. of your sails and you're wondering oh Jesus, my life over which relatively speaking obviously we know it's that not, it's yeah. not but um, at, for a 16 year old you know what it feels it like feels it feels like it yeah, yeah absolutely I've been there too yeah so what was your recovery like did you come back for your senior year and, and play? I, I did. I did. I, I, I beat the odds, according to The Hobbit. And um, <laughs> <laughs> he, I, he's probably dead now because I think he was 105 years old when he was our <laughs> athletic trainer, so I don't think he's still alive. But if he's out there, uh, uh, eh, I'm not sorry for what I don't said. So anyhow, <laughs> so uh, moving move, moving on, uh, the, the recovery was really long. So uh, they put me in a full-leg hard plaster cast for six weeks. So I wasn't allowed to move my leg at all. And this was the, the protocol back then, which, thank God, they've gotten away from it. And then there was another six weeks of me being in a locked brace. So I wasn't allowed to bend my knee or walk on it for, for three months. So when it fin- I finally got the ability, and I was allowed to by the doctor, to bend my knee, it was, it, it was crazy tight. It was I maybe had 30 degrees of available range And that's why you're saying that you're glad that they don't do that protocol anymore because oh. it does make you super tight? Absolutely. I never actually got the full range of motion back in my knee. Um, so we'll get into a little bit more of what's happened down the line. Right. But um, But yeah, it was very hard. Uh, it took lots of cracking, lots of the therapist holding me down, uh, me screaming, sweating, crying, puking uh, as they try to bend my knee to break through the scar tissue. And um, you're farting too. I, oh yes, I, I, I did. I, it's about the only thing you left out of there. Yeah, I did. I did leave out the farting. And actually, I did use that to my advantage one day because one of the therapists pissed me off, so I let one rip right in his face as he was stretching me. So yeah, that's it, man. Don't mess with a stinky seventeen-year-old. Awesome. <laughs> we'll get you back. <laughs> All right. So let's get into your senior season. So uh, I got the clearance to return to football about a week before the season started. Uh, however, I'd been practicing every day prior to that. But in 1989, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, governmental issues on that. Right. So I went to my coach and said, yeah, I'm clear to play. So uh, then I just started, started playing. playing. Uh, I was obviously much slower. I had to wear a big knee brace. As I said, I didn't have full range of motion. Uh, I wasn't even squatting or deadlifting or doing any training on my legs whatsoever. Uh, our first practice we did a two mile run for time um i came in second to last in that two mile only one of our linemen who was 300 pounds who <laughs> didn't complete the two mile came in after me uh, that was <laughs> exactly he was so big that uh we didn't have a helmet to fit his head for the first three weeks 
it was pretty interesting. <laughs> the most funny part was nobody even noticed. Because <laughs> <laughs> it looked like he was wearing a helmet. It looked like he was wearing a helmet. Uh, yeah, so he finished the two miles on a stretcher, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and I finished just before him. So it was uh, it was pretty pathetic. Uh, but I was starting outside linebacker, believe it or not, because I go. played in Parsippany, and we didn't have a whole lot of talent. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to look at it. Yeah, exactly. So did your knee hold up the rest of the season? Yeah, I, I define hold up. <laughs> Didn't tear again? Um, well, technically I never really retore the ACL, but looking back on it now, um, it appears that the graft failed, which was one of the reasons that hamstring tendon graft did not last very long, and they moved right to the patellar tendon within about a year of, uh, of the hamstring graft being the gold standard, as they call it. So you're surgery. saying that it just didn't work, so you're playing with a torn ACL still? Exactly. I was just playing without an ACL. Oh. So uh, I had this big goofy brace on that didn't allow me to really run properly or cut anyway, mm-hmm. so it wasn't like the lack of the ACL was, was the issue. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was definitely not uh, – the knee was not, not nearly 100%. Um, but I was able to get through it, and, uh, and I actually had a pretty good season – Regardless, and uh, looking back at everything now, and we'll talk about what's happened since then, and maybe some of the consequences of playing on it again. And uh, I would go back and do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah, I feel the same way. Even though football almost killed me to some degree, I would still do it today if you said that I could still play football. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I agree, and the the life lessons that you learn, I think, are uh, it's just prepares you more for life than especially when you've gone through something of course you know hopefully it doesn't translate to a helicopter ride to brain surgery for most because that's a little scarier than a torn ACL but but like yeah you're right the things that you learn for football it almost makes the recovery from those injuries easier because of the things that you you learn absolutely I tell the young kids that I coach every day listen life is going to knock you down life is going to kick you when you're down right it's uh, how you respond exactly it's, and that's what this podcast is all about it's not about what happens to you it's about how you respond to what happens to you because you can't control the first part but you can control how you respond absolutely I like it um, so to kind of transition off of the the recovery from the ACL what was your biggest obstacle because you obviously overcame it you came back and even though the graft might have not have held, you still went on to have a pretty successful season. You had fun with your buddies your senior season. So what was the biggest obstacle in your recovery, and what do you think kind of helped you get through that? I think looking back on it now, and and I see a lot of kids going through this as well, the big obstacle for the ACL reconstruction occurs after you've gone through that initial stage. There's, there's this gap where physical therapy kind of gets you back to the point where we're, nowadays we're working on getting your knee bending again, getting it all the way straight. We start working on your strength, and we'll do like a little manual muscle test. Be like, oh, yeah, your, your, your good leg is almost, your bad leg is almost as good as your good leg now. Um, and then comes this kind of lull where, all right, well, you're kind of technically done with physical therapy according to the surgeon and the insurance standards. A lot of times the insurance standards come long before the surgeon's standards. Which doesn't make too much sense, but... No, it definitely doesn't. But there's, you're nowhere near ready to get back onto a field or a court. So now what do you do? And now, do you have that self-driven motivation to continue and to train hard and to work on speed and cutting and all those types of 
types of things. Back then, there was no such thing as speed and conditioning training right. outside of your sport. So, you know, what are you going to do? I didn't know what to do. And it, that's the frustrating part. And, and right around that time also seems to be that time where all of a sudden having an injury, it's old. It's not. It's not fun anymore. In the beginning, it's a novelty. Yeah, I'm gonna kick the. I'm gonna you're kick gonna the crap it, out right? of this injury. I'm coming back stronger. Well, you know what? Three months later, when you're now in the most important phase of getting back to your sport, that 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 self motivation is a lot harder to, to dig up. It's it's gotten boring now. Nothing's really changed for a while. Yeah, your knee doesn't hurt as much, and your injury's healing, and you're getting stronger. The range of motion's back, but now the increments are much smaller. You know, you're not you're not getting 10 degrees of range of motion back every day. You know, now it's well, gee, I did this much weight on this machine last week. Why why isn't it going up anymore? And that's when it's critical to start pushing yourself. And that's when a lot of the younger athletes start to falter. Right, because they I don't had see the issue. they don't see the gains like they they were were seeing early on in their recovery. You're saying absolutely, absolutely. And uh, you know, to keep that motivation is tough. So. You know, at that around that time for me was springtime of my junior year in high school, and um, you know, all of a sudden the weather got nice, the party started kicking up, and uh, it wasn't as much fun to go to the gym as it was to go to the bleachers and drink with my buddies and smoke and do all stupid things that weren't going to help me in the long run. Right. So that was the hard part. It, it was a lot easier to try to use those distractions to get away from what my my original goal was, and then um, I was fairly fortunate at one point I looked in the mirror and I said well what are you going to do you want to you want to go party with your friends or do you want to play football again and um, I don't know what caused me that day to say this is it I'm gonna I'm done with this crap I want to I want to get back to sports I'm not going to let this beat me I'm not going to let that hobbit be right Uh, but I, I think it was that anger and that people telling me that I couldn't do it again and and, and sitting in class, and my friend who was the quarterback and I was the tight end prior to the injury, uh, drawing up plays and having the younger kid who was behind me lining up and putting his number as the tight end in there. It was all those little stupid things that... Right, feel your I, fire. Yeah, I mean, I could, it could have went, went one, or the, one way or the other. I could have retreated into a shell and said, oh, my God, this is terrible. Everyone's forgot about me and felt sorry for myself. I could have said, you know, F this... Uh, this is what I want. I'm going to get it, and and I thankfully I, I did come up with that decision, and it's helped me several times throughout my life. Because uh, as we said before, there's lots of adversity that we're going to face. Right. Uh, on a relative scale, it can be anywhere. And but, you never uh, know when it's going to come about either. Yeah, absolutely. And and after coming back from to football, it gave me the confidence that I know no matter what gets thrown at me, um, I, I I can get through it. I can get through it. Right. Awesome. Uh, so you eventually went to school for physical therapy. So can you talk about uh, why you chose physical therapy and uh, what college was like for you when you didn't have football anymore? Because I know a lot of people who are listening, including myself, that transition from high school to college without sports was extremely difficult. Oh, absolutely. And um, it's very interesting. So after going through my uh through my rehab process, uh, the year prior to it, I had a shoulder injury, not nearly as severe, and and um, went through physical therapy. So, after spending a lot of time in a PT's office, I said, "You know, this is this is this is really cool stuff. I, I think I could be good at this." And you could really make a difference in someone's life. Absolutely. Uh, thinking about you know, the Hobbit and uh, 
and what he said to me and, and you know, some of the therapists that I worked with, I, I looked at it and I said, you know what, they're helping me and I, I think I can help a lot of other people and I can help them through some of this. So I decided I wanted to go to physical therapy school. So the interesting part was I was always kind of an underachiever in high school. So I was a straight B student. And as soon as I had locked up a B for the year, I was done studying. I never brought home a book the whole four years in high school. It was, it was, it was pretty, pretty pathetic when I look back at it. So I didn't have the grades to get into PT school. So my first year I stayed home and, um, and that was pretty much because I had a girlfriend at home, but that was a stupid mistake, but that's for a whole other podcast. <laughs> uh, so finally I said, I applied to a bunch of PT schools. I couldn't get into any of the PT programs, but the colleges would accept me. So I decided I was going to go to Quinnipiac College. Mainly my father said that if I went to Quinnipiac, uh, he would pay for it and I wouldn't have to take out student loans because there was no football team there. And, and, and he knew that you weren't going <laughs> to try to walk on the team or something? Exactly right. He knew that if given an opportunity and someone said, hey, you want to try out, I would have been out there. Even though I probably wouldn't have made it, uh, I would have tried. Um, so I, I decided to go to Quinnipiac. And uh, now it was interesting because they don't accept transfer PT students. So I went in as undecided and I took all the classes that I would need to for PT school and um, and after being there for about a month or so I started to visit the president of the PT program so a gentleman named Ed Tantorsky very nice guy he got to know me better than he wanted to <laughs> because I would make a weekly visit to his office and say uh, Mr. Tantorsky my name is Jaron Nisvachia I'm a student here. I'd really like to get into the PT program. I know my grades in high school weren't good enough, but I'm a much better student now. And every week it was the same conversation. And he would say, well, we don't accept transfers in. If you didn't get in as a freshman, there's not a whole lot we can do for you. So um, then after about the third or fourth time I <laughs> went to visit him, he said, are, are you going to come here every week? <laughs> Until and, I say yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. So uh, I said, uh, no, I said, sir, I will stop bothering you as soon as you let me in the PT program. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he says, okay, listen. He goes, if you can go to the admissions department and get them to write a letter saying that you should have been accepted as a freshman, I will let you into the PT program. So I said, great, thank you very much. Shook his hand, left his office. I said, you know, I'll, I'll see you again when I get the letter. So then I started making weekly visits to the admissions office, and there was a gentleman there, Mr. Al Carbone. I'll never forget him. Uh, very, very nice gentleman, and we had some great conversations. It was interesting because at the time, we would sit down and chat because I'd visit him every week and say the same thing, and we he would just start talking to me about all different types of things. And um, I look back now, and he really was interviewing me for my to find out what my character was oh, like. Oh, okay. At the time, you wanted to know how much you wanted it. Exactly, and at the time, I'm just thinking to myself, why is he asking me all these silly questions? Just write the letter so I could get into the PT program. So um, after visiting him three or four times, he said the same thing. Are you going to keep coming back here till we write this letter? And I said, absolutely. So. Uh, he said to me, all right, he goes, let me see what your grades are after the first semester. Let's see if you can actually handle the program. I said, fair enough. So I left him alone for the first semester. First semester was over. First week of the second semester, I brought my report card to him, and I had a 3-4 average for the first semester, which was pretty good for me. Yeah, especially transitioning from high school to college. It's exactly. a lot different. Exactly right. And the good news was, getting back to your original question, was this was my distraction now with, for, for not having football. Now it was all about getting into the PT program. So this was my kind of, this was my competition that I needed to fire me. So that was like your new outlet? Absolutely. 
absolutely. So, uh, so I met with Mr. Carbone, and uh, and now he says, well, it looks like you, you you can definitely do it. He goes, but this is what I want you to do. This semester, if you get a three six, I will write the letter. And that was all I needed. There you go. Got that incentive. Needless to say, uh, looking back now, the three four was actually my lowest GPA. Oh wow! Through all four years of school, I ended up graduating with like a three eight nine. Or three, eight, and you seven, said in high school GPA. you were like a B student. You, oh yeah, I had a three point zero 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 one. Yeah, uh, it was interesting because now uh, I taken a competition to probably a sick level because uh, I remember one one bio test I got a ninety nine on it and because I'd misspelled one and I actually went up to the professor to complain that I didn't actually misspell the word. They just couldn't read my handwriting. <laughs> oh, did you <laughs> really was, misspell it, or did you just try to use that as your? <laughs> it, it, it was sloppy, but it wasn't misspelled. <laughs> okay. But that one point, it was like, yeah. uh, listen, perfection or nothing. I was, I was a little bit of a madman at the time. I like it. That's the kind of mentality you need. Absolutely, yep. and uh, and it, it really helped me. So now, uh, uh, you know, I went from being, uh, you know, flying under the radar, radar type of guy, to now I was one of the top students in the class. And uh, it didn't matter. It wasn't the competition with everyone else that I cared about. It was my competition with myself. Right. Every exam that I took was my, that was that was my next football game. Like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna beat this. Yeah, and I think like when you're recovering from injuries and stuff like that, I think having that kind of like inward thinking point of view, like just worrying about yourself and not worrying about other people. That's kind of the best way to do it, or else you're going to drive yourself nuts because you're comparing yourself to people who didn't have an injury and you know didn't go through those struggles. So you kind of got to choose your own battles and try to, you know, meet your own your own goals. Absolutely, and and being goal driven is one of the great things, and it's one of the probably most important qualities to be successful in this life. It really is very important because if you're not, if you don't have focus on your goals, it's so hard to get back up after you get knocked down. Do you have any strategies that you do for goal setting? Um, At the time or now or? Yeah, I mean, at the time, I can definitely be extremely focused on on goals. And um, the, the, the other good characteristic that I have is my ability to change on the fly. So uh, my goals have changed over the course of the years. Uh, originally, when, when I first met you, Kevin, I was my goal was to establish my own PT practice and, and, and get into the sports training environment and have a, a company that helped people get from injury back to sport with no gap, not leaving them alone during the most important phase. And, um, and as time went on, uh, I was getting close to achieving that goal, but once I realized that the goal, I had a little bit of a hard time letting go of that once I realized that it wasn't going to be what I wanted it to be. And it was almost like that afraid to fail type of feeling, like I was, I was definitely afraid to walk away from it and fail at this was my life dream. Yep. But at the same time, I look back now and I left that practice and I came to Atlantic Sports and now it was the smartest thing I ever did because now my goal is to help my children right. to achieve their goals. So as life goes on, we can't be afraid to, to change our to focus change, right. a little bit because the, the, the most important goal to ourselves may change. And that's okay. That's a good thing. And not in your control either. Absolutely. I mean, the truth of the matter is if I was making more money at my other business, I'd probably still be there. But once it got to the point where I didn't have enough money to support my family that I was bringing in, I had to make the change. 
If not, I'd still be fighting because I, I call that fighting for milk. You got to find a way. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. You got to find a way. And uh, you know, we get a little short-sighted at the time. We're looking at that goal, and I was so focused on it that I was missing the big picture. Mm-hmm. What was the big picture? My my son was at two at the time, and he barely knew me because You're I never left. Home, yeah. yeah, I left in the morning before he was awake, and I came back, and he was sleeping. So he would go four or five days without seeing his dad. Yeah, I remember you were grinding away. Yeah. Uh, when and that I, first opened, yep. And I probably wasn't a very happy camper at the time either. You're you know? always funny, no matter what. So. <laughs> I, I, that is that is one of my other outlets. <laughs> it's called it's called deflection, <laughs> or bipolar, whichever you want to call it. I got a little bit of both going on. <laughs> well, no one makes me laugh more than this guy. Um, all right, what else we got? So let's talk about. Uh, you've been a, a therapist for how many years? Uh, I Physical graduated therapist. in 1996, so I've been almost 20 years as a PT. So for almost 20 years, I'm sure you've seen thousands of injuries and subsequent comebacks. Which, let's pick two, like that you could kind of tell us the story and maybe some characteristics that helped them persevere through their injury and their recovery. Like two that really stick out in your mind that you were like, wow, like this is a, a terrible injury and I don't know if they're ever going to like get back to normal life again and then they surprise you by you know their work ethic or whatever it is. There's been so many people and so many stories over the years and a lot of it is relative speaking. I've seen some, some, some real bad injuries. Uh, my first five years I saw uh, spinal cord injuries. And um, so, you know, when we talk about relatively speaking, what a kick in the groin it was for me to think about, oh my God, I was such a baby about my knee, right, and now I walk in, guys, yeah. and there's kids that were my age, 16, 17 years old, who broke their neck, and are now on a ventilator to breathe, and I'm going in to stretch their legs, and I felt like, oh my God, what, what was I ever thinking? Right. But again, it's all relative to what we want. So the comebacks for them, may have been a little different. Obviously, you know, everybody wants to walk again. Um, but a lot of people don't get that after a spinal cord injury. So getting back to life and getting back to independence usually becomes some of their goals. So um, I, I met this one young kid, and uh, we'll, call, we'll, call him, we'll call him Jake. Okay. That's my son's name, so it's a, it's a good name to, to, to see. Um, and a lot of the stories will kind of fade into one with some of these patients. Uh, when it comes to Jake, I, I don't really even remember exactly how he got injured. I believe it was a car accident, which is typically what happens. Um, so needless to say, uh, he was 16 or 17 at the time and broke his neck in a car accident. And he was a, a very, very good soccer player for his high school at the team at the time. And uh, he came in and it was... He was such a good kid, and you could see the maturity in his eyes. A lot of people, when they would come in, and there's a, it's very hard for them to accept what happened to them. So there typically is that kind of defiance and a little bit of, um, you're going to have a little bit of the depression, but a little bit of the, the, the denial as well. And they'd come and be like, well, I'm walking out of here, you know. And, and I say to them all the time. I never will take away a dream or a goal of anybody. And, uh, and I look at him right in the eye and say, I hope to God you do. Um, and then try to focus on the task at hand. You know, the first task would be, listen, if you're ever going to walk again, first thing we got to teach you to do is you got to get out of this wheelchair on your own. Right. So you know? some smaller goals leading to the bigger goal. Absolutely. So uh, needless to say, this kid, Jake, he actually 
achieved a lot. So he was a lower neck injury, which pretty much left him uh, paralyzed from the mid-chest down and also part of his hands. So his hands weren't fully functional. His hands, uh, he, he had a little bit of motion in his wrists, uh, but he couldn't use his fingers. Um, and over time, over the next two years, I believe, uh, he got back enough to point where uh, I know he went on to college and actually became the president of his fraternity. Oh, wow. So uh, when you look at that, uh, pretty, pretty amazing goals. So he, maybe he didn't make it back to soccer, uh, the, not the way he wanted to mm -hmm. anyway, but here he was president of his fraternity and he was participating in some, a lot of different wheelchair sports. But I'll never forget, the, it was about a year after his injury, um, it was his senior season, so he was on the sidelines for his soccer team, and he was in his wheelchair, and they had their senior night. So they, he invited a few of his therapists to, uh, to come down and watch him. And uh, so he went down, and everyone got called out onto the field, and he was there with his parents. And, you know, and it was pretty impressive because he was trying to push his own wheelchair over grass, which is really hard to yeah. do if you don't have full arm function. It's hard to do when you have full arm function, but he did not have full arm function, and he was doing a pretty good job, and, and uh, his friends were so proud of him. Well, for the kickoff of the game, he, uh, they brought him out and they put him in his old spot, and here he is in his wheelchair with his jersey on, and sorry, I might, I might tear up a little bit at this because this is one of the things that, that life is all about. Right. And, uh, I'm getting chills. It was it was beautiful. It was beautiful. So he was uh, kind of like mid back and on the, on the corner of uh, of his uh, in his spot, and his two friends kicked off. And apparently they had must must have talked to the other team as well. So they uh, they kicked off to each other. And in soccer, you know, the ball has to go forward first. And then the, so the one kid passes to the other one, just about a foot and forward. He turns around and he kicks it back to Jake sitting in his wheelchair. And then. Both teams gathered around him and gave him the ball and uh, wheeled him off the, the field. And I was just thinking about that. The tears were rolling down my cheeks. And I said, man, I said, uh, he might not get back to everything that he wanted to do, but gosh, he's got a lot of support right now. And he's feeling pretty special about it. And what right. he really accomplished was uh, pretty pretty remarkable in order just to get back to this life, for him to be out on that field and to be able to participate with his friends again. Uh, even if it wasn't at the full capacity that he wanted, he was there doing it, and obviously he didn't let that affect his life in a negative way. But it was a pretty amazing feeling to see that, and that's what I think puts into perspective a lot of the different things that I see on a daily basis now. Is uh, you know, and again, it's all relatively speaking, but um, you know, let's figure out what your goals are and let's achieve them. Right. And th thanks for sharing that story, Jr. I know no it was hard for you a little bit, um, but that's also one of the great things about sports too is that you have like things that happen like that, like, like in your story that you kind of gives people you know some hope, you know, yeah. for for the future. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, it's uh, it, it's pretty amazing, and and yeah, you know, and. It, the, the biggest thing to remember is even if your goals have to change and even if you have to modify them as long as you keep working towards them you know right. only good things are going to happen so what what were Jake's characteristics that made him successful and and, and this is going to be common listen nobody can ever go through something like that and not have bad days right uh, nobody can go through something like that and not be depressed 
And nobody can really go through something like that on their own. We all need help. Need a support system. Absolutely. And his biggest attributes were his ability to try to minimize his bad days. On his bad days, he'd come into the gym and he'd still do as much as he can. And on the good days, we'd push him to work a little bit harder. Okay. And learn how to roll over on his own and learn how to get up from on from flat on your back on a mat and, and sit back up. And these are, these are nearly impossible tasks. And uh, he worked at it hard. And the hard part about something like that is it's the same thing as when you're going through that ACL. You're not going to see change day to day when you get to that plateau. Mm-hmm. Your changes are going to come month to month. And that's the hard part to stay focused. So uh, you gotta you got to keep that that focus and that, that perseverance has to continue with that self-motivation. you got to keep putting into perspective, all right, listen, I, maybe I didn't achieve my goal overall yet, but, you know, today I was able to sit up from, from laying down four times, whereas yesterday I was only able to do it three. Uh, today I was able to push 20 pounds on my leg instead of the 18 that I was at last week. Right. So those little things, set those little goals that are achievable to keep you focused on the big goals. All right. Um, we're cutting close to time here. So I, I got, you're a football coach now, and you coach a lot of your kids' teams and stuff. So I wanted to kind of get your perspective on, like, since you've seen all these injuries as a physical therapist, does it make you worry about your kids playing sports? And, and why do you find sports valuable for your kids. I know we already kind of talked to some about this, about the life lessons that it kind of teaches you, um, but I kind of wanted to see what you thought or what your thoughts were in terms of your own kids. Um, I am scared shitless every day. <laughs> and that is, is actually minimizing how I actually feel. Um, so I, get, I should probably backdate this a little bit with saying, yeah, after I had uh, my first child, who my daughter... Uh, Mia is is going to be ten tomorrow. Oh um, wow! Happy birthday, Mia! Uh, yeah, thank you very much. I remember singing Taylor Swift to her at peak performance and, in, in the uh, that little studio room. Absolutely, when she was little, yeah. And be, because of that, she goes to see Taylor Swift every time she's in concert. Still her favorite artist. All right, must have been all. I those had something moves. to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so after we first had Mia, uh, I definitely went a little psychotic. Uh, as far as trying to put her in a bubble and right. and worrying about her constantly and checking every night, to make checking sure her pulse every night, exactly, <laughs> making sure she's still breathing. And I mean, I, I got a little insane. I'm not gonna lie. Um, and it only worsened when I had Jake a couple years later. Who he's seven now. He'll be eight in December. So it was one of those things that uh, I actually ended up having to put myself on some medication. And, uh, and, and I had to learn a lot of issues. So yeah, so I suffered from some major anxiety with having the kids. I think a lot of it came from my past of seeing some of these this stuff, awful injuries yeah. and, and how easy it can happen. I mean, you know, just driving a car, being a passenger in a car, which we do on a daily basis, is the, the leading cause of these spinal cord injuries. So a lot of that factored in, and plus probably some of my own mental illness was in there as well. But, you know, we all have it. <laughs> some of it is yeah. just in denial. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so what I had to learn over the past 10 years uh, with the help of medication and thousands of dollars in therapy is, uh, you know, i got to let my kids go. I gotta let them learn from themselves because it was the only way I learned. I can't protect them from everything. Right. So now Mia is um, very, very proud of her because she's a, a, a lot like me, and, and, I, and I believe Jake is going to be the same way. We 
don't have that God-given talent where just everything comes real easy to us, mm-hmm. but we're not afraid to work hard for it. Right. So she's busted her butt, and uh, she made the, the Junior Streaks cheerleading team, which is a competition squad. Oh, wow. And um, her and one of her good friends, Ava, are the only fifth graders who made the team. Impressive. That being said, she's also now one of the smallest because she's on a team with fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, which makes her a flyer. And if oh, you're okay. not into <laughs> cheerleading, the flyer... Well, just the name of it, you kind of know what's going on. Yeah, is the girl that gets thrown up in the air, is on people's shoulders. And cheerleading, believe it or not, is one of the sports, especially competition cheerleading, is one of the sports with the highest rate of concussions. So uh, now... Um, dealing with my daughter being on top of uh, other people's shoulders and being tossed up in the air and right. I, I, obviously I'm a nervous wreck but I, I can't I can't take that away from her when the, she loves it right the joy in her face I the risk versus reward granted I don't want her to get hurt and I never want her to get hurt but um, you know I, I she's got to make her own decisions right. and you've been there too like you know you were an athlete and you know it's uh, you can't worry about getting hurt nope. or else you're not gonna have fun Absolutely, and I am. But like you said, it could happen no matter what you're doing. Exactly right. Exactly right, and that's what I, I have to remind myself daily. And I am scared shitless, and I have a hard time watching sometimes because right. I get so nervous. But um, but I got to be there to, to support her, and then watching her smile when she do it is my. That's reward. what it's all about, right? Yep. So and now Jake is in his first year of football with equipment. How are we doing on time? We're good. Yeah. Okay. Um. So uh, again, you know. It's a little different for me with Jake and being a youth football coach. Um, one of the things that I decided as when I had a son was, hey, I said, when it comes to football, when it comes to a lot of sports, I can coach him and I have no problem with it. I don't like to because I feel like my kids, whenever I've coached them, they, I always make sure that I'm paying attention to the other kids as well. So I feel like I short my own kids a little bit. Right. So I don't love to be their coach, but at the same time, I do enjoy, uh, enjoy being a coach to lots of other people. So uh, when it comes to football, though, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't coach my son because when I'm on the sidelines or even in the stands now watching him, I so badly want to go out there and help him succeed, and I want to make his block for him and make right. the tackles for him, and I just can't help but focus on what he's doing on every single play, and it wouldn't be fair to other kids if I was on Only side focusing on him, yeah. Exactly, but uh, at the same time... You my know, dad was the same way. I would uh, play on his team and... I remember one season in baseball, I specifically, I was playing on like three different teams. I played rec just so I could practice third base. I didn't play third base the entire season because there was another kid on the team that was good at third base and he wanted to give him a shot. So I was like, <laughs> whatever. It's, it's, and, it was and the and right thing what, at the time, though, yeah. And that's what typically happens, and it, it's tough. And of course, unfortunately, there's a lot of other fathers that aren't that way right. and put their kid in front of everybody else regardless of... Uh, but honestly, in the long run... Like I've seen it happen that those those kids who had their dads helping them out when their dad isn't the coach anymore, it's it doesn't really fare too well for them. Uh, absolutely, and and that's what I look at now when I see my son out there and and he's struggling because he's never blocked before and he's only seven years old and and he's playing on pee wee team because he's a little bigger for a seven year old and you know he gets his butt kicked on some plays and uh, and 
it's so hard to watch as a father, but I know that the, this is what's going to help him the most in the life in life is for him to learn how to succeed exactly. on his own. Exactly. Yep. And I'm going to be there to support him every step of the way. And I tell him every day, I don't care if you're the best player on that field or the worst player on that field. I can't love you any more than I already do. Yep. And uh, and he's he's another good kid. I, I came come home now and uh, and he, you know we go back we think about when he was two and didn't really know who I was. I, it took me a long time to overcome that. And I came home from work on Monday night and he's like, Dad. Can we go outside and practice a little bit? And there you now go, I'm yeah. sharing some of my old defensive techniques. I'm teaching them the dip and rip and the swim move. And, cool. Oh, it's it's you know there's no greater joy. What's that in my intrinsic life. motivation? That's he he wants to do it. He, awesome. he does. And, and and if I and like I said, I'll be there to support him every step of the way. But he's the guy. He's got to support. He's got to want it. And if he wants it, I'll help him. But if he doesn't want it, I can't help him. Right. One last question. What's your definition of perseverance? Ah, that's a good question. Perseverance. Um, well, I will go back and I'll talk about um, one thing about that a uh, guy who I wrestled with when I was, I think, a sophomore. Uh, his name was James Orlando. I actually think he's a doctor now. Um, and he was a wrestler and he was a hardcore wrestler. And he talked about dedication. And his definition of dedication, I'll never forget, was doing what you don't want to do when you don't feel like doing it. Right. And I think that applies to perseverance as well. Perseverance is that ability to get back up and keep fighting for it, even though you know it'd be a lot easier to just give up. Uh, it's so much harder to fight for something, but the truth of the matter is, is when you're done, the appreciation that you have and the reward that you feel is 10 times better than if it was just handed to you. So uh, I think perseverance is not only the ability to get back up, but I think that's also the secret to enjoying life and the secret to enjoying what you achieve. That's an awesome answer. I could not have thought of anything better than that. Hey, thanks, buddy. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to sit down for the interview. And I owe you for so many things in my life. When I got hurt, you helped me get back. I lost 30 pounds on the hospital, and I would go to JR every single day after school once I got cleared to work out and kind of gain my muscle back. And I eventually started working for JR. And when I was commuting from uh, Rutgers, I was really struggling. Um, and then when I didn't have a job coming out of grad school, I just happened to call JR one day, and he, he had a job for me. So he's always, he's always been there for me, and I, I really appreciate that. And one last thing I want to share is when I did hurt my head, I'll never forget, I always tell everyone, just like the kind of guy that you are, um, <laughs> I'm getting a little chucked up too. <laughs> You're going to make me cry again. But um, JR, I was feeling bad for myself because I couldn't play football anymore. I was sitting at home. I couldn't go to school. And JR came over. Uh, well, <laughs> let me start. I went to see JR before I hurt my head because I had a hamstring issue I was dealing with. My shoulder was was bothering me. So I was going to see JR off and on um, before my head injury. But when he found out about my head injury and I was at home, he, he brought me lunch and he sat down with me. I remember that that night was actually my senior night and I had to talk to my team before um, they went out to the field that night because my, my coach had asked me to and JR sat down with me and we kind of brainstormed like what I was going to talk about and I'll never forget it um, but it's kind of like just like what you said like uh, I remember I said or we, we kind of decided on that I was going to talk about how like when I stepped on that field that night I didn't think that it was going to be my last game ever but it just goes to show you like you just don't know but 
JR has been through, you know, been with me the whole time, like through my recovery and everything like that. And I definitely thank him for that. And he's definitely had a big part of who I am today um, because of his, his influence on me. Well, thank you. And uh, I want to uh, kind of go back. You you were the second story we didn't get back to. I went with the other emotional one. But when people talk about uh, accomplishing their goals and comebacks, again, you know, uh, it, it's probably a lot easier to come back from an injury and get back to your sport. Um, the, harder, the harder comeback is to come back to life when you can't get back to some of the things you love. And, right. and that's what, and you know, I was on the sidelines of the game that night when Kevin got uh, heliported out of the field and um, it was the worst feeling I ever had. As you said before, I, I'd been working with Kevin for a couple weeks and you know, watching that helicopter or listening because it was a really foggy night. You actually couldn't see the helicopter um, because it landed at a field uh, adjacent to the school. Um, but you could hear it, and it was the creepiest sound ever and the worst feeling I've ever had. The rumors on the sidelines were absolutely incredibly bad. And I just remember saying to myself, oh, my God, where's his parents? Where's his parents? Because I, at that point, was a parent myself and know what they were been feeling sitting in there not know what they were feeling but I could just imagine the horrors that they were feeling and um, what we should probably mention as well is not only was Kevin a football player but you're an absolute beast on the field I mean he you was fun to watch you were an incredible incredible running back who just punished people and uh, I'll never forget working on your legs the muscles on the in them I was exhausted I was sweating more than you were after our sessions so it was a lot of fun for me to be there and, and watch some of these young guys that I worked with but after that I, I knew having given the experience that you know the biggest challenges were ahead so when you talk about great comebacks you have you who turned around and went through two surgeries on your brain um months of recovery, lost a lot of your physical ability, go on to graduate with a bachelor's from Rutgers, a master's from Georgetown, and then come on and, and be a huge asset to what we do every day at Atlantic Health. And the passion behind the research that Kevin is helping with us now and the passion behind the concussion programs that we have, I you shouldn't be thanking me, I should be thanking you. And uh, that is one of the best comebacks that I've ever seen to have a guy who gets kicked when he's down and to come back and now become you know a huge asset to a multi-billion dollar health care industry that's um that's a comeback for, for the ages and I think a lot of credit is deserved to you to show you also that definition of per per perseverance is sitting right in front of me um, and that's one of the things that hey if I ever needed, knew that you needed some help, you're going to help me just as much. So I'll always have your back, no, no matter what. I got you. <laughs> hiring you was was a no-brainer. I know, I know what you can do, and I know who you are. I'll never have anybody work as hard as you will. So uh, a piece of cake decision on my part. That one's not. I don't even have to think about. So uh, as much as you want to thank me for everything I've done for you, I got to say thank you for everything that you've done for me as well, because uh, having you here, you're a great asset to Atlantic, and uh, and I know anything we ask you to do, we're getting 100% out of you every single time. Thanks, JR. My pleasure. I appreciate it. This, I think the, the audience is going to love this one. Uh, you know what? Next time we got to do a lot more humor, because we didn't laugh. We cried more than we laughed today, which is I really not like I think we, we laughed, we cried. What was uh, there's that, that SB speech? Oh, which one? Stuart I, Scott or uh, 
I cried hard on that one. Or yeah. Jimmy V. Yeah, the Jimmy V one. Yeah, he oh, says have a full day. You got to laugh. You got to cry. Oh, and it's a good point. Someone that I can't even forget. You got to love. Yeah. You got to love. You got to laugh. You got to cry. Jimmy V. Man, it was. Uh, I think we did it all today. No, we didn't love. We gotta. We'll, we'll, we'll finish oh, it with a hug. We're gonna hug. We're gonna hug right after we pause this. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, Chair. <laughs> Take care, Kevin. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Heads and Tails podcast again this week. JR and I will be giving out free hugs to anyone who shares this episode and goes over to iTunes to give us a five-star review. See you next week.